Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about stillbirth, baby loss, grief, survival, and all things in between. I'm Catherine. My first child, Brody, died at full term and was stillborn in January of 2022. I literally thought the sadness was going to kill me. And while trying to survive, I reached out to lost moms to connect with others who knew how I felt. It was these conversations that saved me, and to this day, they still do. We discuss our babies, life with grief. We even laugh, a lot actually. It is my hope that hearing our stories will help you realize that you are not alone in any of this, and maybe even serve as a guide to finding light in the dark. So get comfortable and grab some tissues as we discuss this crazy life after baby death that has left us all at a total loss. There we go. Okay, how about now? You're great. That's great. Great. All right. Now we got that figured out. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. Oh, that's great. I know sometimes these conversations are tough, but for some reason when it's, you know, lost mama to lost mama, we end up having a good a good time. <laughs> um, so the honestly, I have to be honest, I have not had anybody on the podcast yet with anything similar to your story. And so mm. I'm going to be learning as well and lo- really looking forward to hearing it because my gosh, anybody who watches your Instagram just knows like just you're so full of light. And, and, and if you can do that, I mean, it's inspiration for all of us. Um, mm. So what I kind of want to do is, I don't know if you listened to the podcast before, but honestly, just a connection between the two of us, just for us to get to know each other. Um, but also it's, your ability to just tell Sky's story and your story. Mm-hmm. So what I love to do is just have you start wherever you want to start and tell us whatever you want us to know about you, uh, about Sky, about how we got to this conversation. So whenever you're ready, just go ahead and jump in. Yeah. Um. Gosh, our story. So my husband and I have been married for almost five years now. Um. Sky was our first baby and um, had no reason or indication to think that anything would be hard or complicated or anything abnormal. Um, We had no history of anything in our family. Um, And about a year, year and a half ago, we decided we were at a phase where we're like, I think we're ready to start trying. Um, and we had some close friends that had walked through, are walking through, um, infertility and I've, I've had several friends with that. And so I kind of knew that maybe that was an option. Um, and I'd had a couple of friends that had miscarriages. And so that was kind of my only thoughts of like things that could be hard about pregnancy, you know, it's either like healthy or you maybe struggle with infertility or miscarriage. Um, was all I knew as far as like the realm of possibilities. And so, um, we got pregnant relatively quickly and, um, had a super normal, easy pregnancy. Um, the first half, um, everything on scans looked great. Everything, heartbeat growth, um, the ultrasounds that we had seen at eight and 12 weeks looked great, normal. And so we went in for our anatomy scan at 20 weeks and, um, the ultrasound tech was like 
silent. And um, she kept, she was doing our ultrasound and she kept like turning and typing on a computer to someone like multiple times throughout. And we were like, that's weird. But like, I don't know. I, I didn't think of, I didn't really think that much about it. Um, she kept bringing in like, you know, can you drink this water? And we're trying to get the baby to like turn. We just need to see a couple of things. Um, and so she had me change up positions a bunch. She had me go to the bathroom and then she brought in water, had me drink water. And then she left the room, came back in and she was like, actually, we don't need any more images. I'm going to have, I'm going to have you step in another room and you need to talk to the doctor. And I was like, and then I think for my husband and I both, it was like, oh, something is not right. Um, like, I'm not supposed to be meeting with the doctor today. I'm supposed to meet with the doctor like next week to go over the scan. And so um, we are led around the corner um, and we, the doctor comes in or the OB um, specialist and her voice is really shaky. Um, and she sits down and she's like, we, I have some hard news to tell you. And I think in our mind, we're thinking like, hey, maybe like Down syndrome or um, a physical defect or something like that. And um, essentially, she proceeded to tell us that Skylar had um, a super rare um, they couldn't name it for sure until she was born, but they, she was like, I think she has what's called Meckel-Gruber syndrome. Um, it's a lethal condition. No baby has ever survived it. Um, she can live as long as she's in the womb, but as soon as she's born, she won't be able to survive. Um, cause essentially it was a, it all, River, come. Um, essentially, it was a defect with the kidneys. And so her kidneys weren't filtering and creating urine. And then urine is what makes the amniotic fluid. Babies swallow the amniotic fluid in utero, and that's what forms their lungs. And so because of her issue, her kidneys weren't working both sides. Um, she wasn't producing urine, so I had no amniotic fluid and therefore her lungs would not develop. And so that's why she wouldn't be able to live outside the womb. And um, she followed it up with the double whammy of um, this can only happen through inheriting a genetic copy through both parents. Um, and so this is something that you guys have both been a carrier through or your families have been a carrier for generations. Um, it's super rare to have found each other. It's like a one in 36,000 chance that you are a carrier of this gene. And then the fact that Cody and I met each other and had Sky, um, it, I mean, it was like astronomical odds. Um, and so she's like, you know, Sky will not live and any future pregnancy, there's a one in four chance that this is going to be the same outcome every time. And so, uh, <laughs> our whole world essentially came completely crashing in that day um, to not only find out this guy wasn't going to live, but that um, I think just like, is this the end of like all family, you know, like they hit you with all of that at once. They sure did. <laughs> Jeez. 
Um, yeah. And so it was like, gosh, we just started trying and things are great. And now like, does this mean like no kids ever, like, you know, is this just the end of everything? Um, and they asked us in that appointment, she was like, she didn't push us to, but she was like, you know, if you want to abort the pregnancy, you would need to decide that in the next two weeks. Um, and, uh, in that moment, I, I had no idea. Cause I was like, I don't know how to continue like to, to carry and bond with Skylar knowing that she's going to die, um, for like another four months. <laughs> um, I was like, this feels like literally impossible. Um, and I was really thankful in that moment, my husband was like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna carry her for as long as God gives us. And I like couldn't say anything. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to do this. Um, but I was so thankful that he said that. Um, and because I, it was such a gift and such an honor to um, carry Skylar and get to know her um, even just through through my womb and through her kicks and through feeling her and um, all the things until we gave birth. So uh, from then we basically, um, we were at that appointment for like an extra two hours. They did a bunch of blood work on Cody and I to try and see if they could find the gene in both of us. So they submitted a blood work panel for, um, to test for 500 different, uh, 502 different genetic disorders that you can carry and hoping that they would be able to find um, or assuming they'd be able to find the Meckel-Gruber gene in both of us and give like a clear concrete answer of like this is what she has. Um, and so <laughs> then we left that appointment and it was pretty much the worst. We were like ushered out a back door past the lobby of like all the expecting moms um, about to go in for their ultrasounds. And it was the most surreal moment to like look into that room of all the pregnant women and be like, two hours ago, that was me. Like my life was totally normal and like happy and expectant. And like my whole world just collapsed in two hours. Um, and <laughs> so we for the next like month or two next month month or a half month and a half we had scans um ultrasounds and every like two weeks to continue they wanted to like monitor and see what was happening anatomically and just like confirm um they wanted to make sure like maybe you know maybe she will start producing urine maybe the kidneys will start working and it just didn't happen. And I ran out of amniotic fluid completely at um, 25 weeks pregnant. And so at that appointment at 25 weeks, um, they told us, they were like, you need to go home and you need to write out your um, birth plan. And you need to start making funeral preparations or whatever you want to do for cremation or funeral uh, you need to start thinking through these things because now that you don't have amniotic fluid, um, we can't see anything more on scans because ultrasounds work through 
by producing images through the fluid. Um, and so they're like, we can't, we can't see anything that's going on inside. And without fluid, if she moves in any way that pinches the cord, she, she'll immediately die. Um, and they were like, so, you know, if she doesn't move, you could go all the way to end term. She could, or if she moves in any way that pinches the cord, she could die at any moment. And so basically we have no idea what's going to happen now. Um, and so they connected us with, um, a grief counselor who works at the hospital who doesn't really counsel you through grief. They basically help you write your like birth plan. That's a death plan basically. Um, and they walk you through a million decisions that you never even thought were possible and were so hard to make. Um, you know, every decision of like, so the, they told the, the nurse that was writing our plan with us was like, based on what we know medically, there is no way possible that your baby will live. So as we go through all these questions, like keep in mind, like no matter what, this this will end in death for your baby. Um, and so she proceeded with, gosh, like probably 20, 30 questions of like, do you want this life-saving measure used? Do you want them to do this at birth? Do you want them to um start CPR do you and it was so hard to like hear all those questions and be like no like no I don't want any life-saving measures no don't try and resuscitate no don't suction out my baby's lungs like so hard to like make all of the say all of those things for your child because you're like you want them to live yeah (laughs) you want your baby and like to be and at that point like she's still moving and kicking and like full of life in my belly. And so it was like, what are you, how am I supposed to make this plan of like her death plan when she is still living? Um, and we, we had to go, we decided we wanted to do, uh, we wanted to bury her rather than cremate her. Um, and so we, at like 26 weeks, I think we picked out a funeral, uh, a funeral home, a cemetery. We went and we had to walk the grounds and pick where we wanted her to be. Um, and the cemetery we chose is beautiful, but um, there's a specific section in the middle. It's called Lullaby Lane. And it's essentially for all children and babies. And it was so horrifically surreal to be walking around that place in the cemetery with her still inside of me and like picking out (laughs) the like place where she was going to be buried um and to like look down and see my belly moving and to like know that she was going to be under the ground of where I was standing was like (laughs) horrific um and so at that point once we were kind of told to like make all of those decisions and do all those things um it was the week from hell (laughs) um having to make all those plans and do all of those things um and at that point we decided um we were working with maternal fetal medicine and they still 
you know, they're like, if you want to keep doing all the scans and all the things to like, listen to heartbeat, listen to like, if your baby's in stress, all of that, like we, you would need to come in on a, on two times a week basis, um, throughout the rest of your pregnancy, um, because their fear or their warrant caution, I guess, was that she, the plan would be that, um, they didn't think I'd go into natural labor. They didn't think I'd make it to end term. They, they figured she would probably turn in a way that pinched her cord. And so they're like, what to expect now is you'll feel her stop moving. And then at that point you need to come in as soon as possible. Um, so that, so that we can start your labor and, and get her out of you rather than, um, having her pass and be inside your womb for multiple days. Um, and, uh, <laughs> so that would, I was basically um, an anxious mess the rest of pregnancy because for many reasons, but I feel like at every moment I was so afraid that like she was going to turn and I would like feel her pass away. Um, and I just like didn't know how to face that moment. Um, and so we decided to, for our peace of mind, cause I was just, I was like, I can't do these scans. Like I can't come in twice a week and do this. Like this is way too stressful to like, I can't. And so we switched to comfort care. Um, and one of the OBs that was on the team was really great. And he was like, you know, at this point, what really matters is like your health. Um, and we mostly just care about making sure that you're healthy. And so if you're comfortable, what is, what is comfort care? Uh, so comfort care is where, um, essentially you stop all intervention type or any medical, um, tracking of, the remainder of your pregnancy. So um, stopping all scans, stopping all appointments where I have to go in and listen for the heartbeat or they measure growth, um, stopping all ultrasounds, stopping all MRIs, basically stopping all medical intervention. Um, they told me I didn't have to come in for like OB appointments because in a typical pregnancy towards the end, you start going in like monthly and then biweekly and weekly. Um, and they're like, you don't need to do that um if if it doesn't feel good for you like if it's just adding more trauma on top of everything um they were like if you feel her stop moving come in or if something starts going wrong with your health then come in um but otherwise if it's just adding more trauma then just like don't do it and so we didn't do it <laughs> we stopped um and that was the best decision. Um, we stopped all appointments, all medical appointments at 26 weeks. And we were like, okay, we're just going to be so intentional and focus every single day on just soaking up our time with Skylar and loving her and, um, talking to her and just like celebrating her life, um, while she's here with us. And so, um, we actually planned a shower of sorts, um, like a celebration of life for while she was still with us. Uh, we called it Skies Day and we invited 40 of our closest friends and family. Um, and it was essentially a time where we just wanted um, Sky to feel loved on and celebrated while she was still alive and in my womb. Um, and so we made plans to do like um, rock painting because we wanted to um, be able to have everyone leave rocks at her grave. 
Um, and we made bracelets with her name and all the things. And um, we had um, a Bible where we had everyone like write prayers and scriptures and um, things over her. And then we had a time of just um, prayer, like everyone just gathering together and praying over her. Um, not necessarily like praying for healing, but just praying for um, her to know, just for her to feel how loved she is and how wanted and um, cared for she was. And so we had that planned for November 6th. And on November 5th, the night before, I was like having a breakdown because I was like, we, we we had never seen her on a scan. Even when I had amniotic fluid earlier on, it was so low that we never like got to see an outline of her. We never got to see anything of her because my amniotic fluid was always so low. And so um, we paid for a private ultrasound at this clinic um, nearby us that had like really high tech machines. And I was like, maybe like, somehow we'll get to like see her like I just want to see her alive like if she's going to pass away and I'm going to birth her not alive like I want to see what she looks like like in my womb living happy content um and so we paid for a private ultrasound on Friday night on the 5th and we couldn't see her all that they told us was um we can't see her but she she is in breach position um and, and obviously you don't have amniotic fluid. And so there's no way that she can like physically turn. Um, and so at that point I like, I got in the car and I had a complete breakdown because I, we couldn't see her. And then also finding out she was in breach position. I was like, I'm going to have to have a C-section. Like I'm going to be drugged up, knocked out on a hospital table. And like, that's just, it's already going to be just a horrible day. And I like, I'm not even going to be able to like see her or be present or anything. Like, I just don't want to be, I don't, I didn't want to have a C-section. Um, and so I was a hot mess. <laughs> um, and, uh, two hours later that night, um, I had fallen asleep on the couch and my husband woke me up and I didn't have much amniotic fluid, but when I did have my water broke, um, I stood up and there was, uh, it was basically like I had peed, like there was like water trickling down my leg and I was like, that's really weird. And I went to the bathroom and then I was bleeding. Um, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I just found out she's breached. We just had this horrific night, her like shower, like the one thing that we've been so excited for is tomorrow. And I was like, and, and she's coming right now. Like she, we're going to have she's coming. Um, and I was like, I don't know what this looks like. And so throughout that night, I was, I started having contractions about once an hour. Um, and then by the morning they were like every 15 minutes. Um, and so my husband and I packed our hospital bag and a couple of my closest girlfriends were coming over to decorate our house for the shower. And we were going to go we were supposed to go and do like breakfast and lunch and then come back and then everyone would come over for the shower. So we had our hospital bag, our hospital bag packed and we were like, guys, I, uh, I'm in labor and I don't know if we're going to come back. <laughs> like, I think this might be it. Um, and I was so 
angry at God. I had wrestled so much throughout my whole pregnancy, so much, um, about like, how are you good? Like, where are you in all of this? Like how this doesn't make sense. Um, and then the one thing I was excited for about her shower and I was like, and now we're not going to make it to it. You know, like she's not even going to have her one day to be loved on and celebrated by everyone. Um, and in hindsight, it, it was absolutely, um, God and Skylar's timing together. We ended up, uh, we ended up making it to the shower. By the time the shower started, my contractions had stayed about like 10, 15 minutes apart. And I was like, screw it. We're doing her freaking shower. Wow, girl. Wow. Like, girlfriend, you are going to be celebrated. And what I'm going to make this happen. Um, And so we didn't tell anyone. There was like two people that knew. Um, We wanted the shower to like stay like celebratory and joyful. We didn't want to like tell everyone and have it be like this like somber, like everyone was going to be really sad. We just wanted Sky to feel like just loved on. Um, So we did the shower and it was wonderful and amazing to like just know that she was being celebrated and also to like (laughs) surreal because you're like you're coming today you know like this is your birthday today like this is now a birthday party as well for you um and so towards the end of the shower um my contractions were like every four minutes (laughs) they were ramping up pretty good and so we told everyone um hey Nikki's actually in labor. We're going to be going to the hospital soon. Like, can, can we all pray over tonight and over Skylar? And, um, I can't imagine going into labor and going into that moment, knowing what it would be any other way than being surrounded and prayed over by our 40 closest people. Like in hindsight, it was absolutely God's timing of like, so, so incredible. Um, And so, and just filled us with so much peace to like go into that moment, to be surrounded by everyone. Um, We just were like covered in like supernatural peace to go into that moment. And so um, we got to the hospital and um, she was alive still. So um, they checked her heart and she was still living. And so I think we, we didn't expect to have a living uh, birth where she was like living during it. Um, we opted for no monitoring or anything during birth because we were told that she would probably pass during birth from the stress um, of it. And their recommendation was for a C-section just because she was breech. Um, but they gave me the option. They were like, if you want to do natural, we can do natural. Um, it's probably going to be a tr- pretty traumatic labor because she's breech. Um, and because you have like no fluid or anything. Um, and so they kind of went through options of like what this potentially might look like. Um, and we opted for, we wanted, I wanted a natural labor, um, in the sense of if she was going to pass no matter what, like I wanted the intimacy of just being in our own room together and like being able to hold her and like just be in bed and be a family. Um, and so, my labor ramped up pretty quickly. We got to the hospital at like 10 PM and the, the plan was they wanted to give me an epidural, um, at six centimeters dilated because they wanted, they figured it would be a long labor. 
Um, and I wanted to save as much of my energy so that I could be mentally present when she did come, um, knowing that we wouldn't have like, we'd have like maybe 24 hours or however long we wanted to spend at the hospital with her. Um, the OBs were like, you should save your energy so that you can be mentally present once she's here. Um, so plan was for an epidural at six centimeters. So um, I labored for like two hours in the tub and it was just me and my husband. We were put in a different wing of the hospital separate from all like normal births. So that way we wouldn't have to hear any other like babies or moms or births or anything happening. Um, So we were in our own like whole private wing. Um, So it was just my husband and I, and then one of my uh, really close friends is a birth doula and a birth photographer. Um, And we, she offered to um, come and take pictures of the whole thing if we wanted it. And I'm so thankful we did. She took like 1200 1500 pictures of like birth and labor and our time with sky and it was so great to have all those pictures but um at like midnight I'd been laboring for like two hours contractions had like ramped up pretty good but I'd never had a baby or birth before so I was like I don't know this is feeling pretty intense yeah like maybe I'll do the epidural if, if I need to conserve my energy I'm probably at the limit where this is like now pretty pretty hard yeah <laughs> um so they they gave me the epidural and then they were like, we'll give you the epidural, get you comfortable. And then we'll check you and see how far along you are. So they gave me the epidural. They checked me and the nurse says, I feel her feet. <laughs> you are actually fully, you're in labor. Like you are giving birth. You are already 10 centimeters dilated and she's like coming out right now. Um, And so they call the OBs in and um, it was like this whirlwind moment with my husband and I of like, this is happening like we're so many emotions of like I'm so excited like I'm so excited to meet her like this like our daughter that we've been like so intentional about like pouring every ounce of love and time and energy into like the lifetime that you want to give your child we poured into like my whole pregnancy you know because we knew we wouldn't have a lifetime with her and so um so much excitement to meet her and also knowing that like as soon as she was born that would be like the end of our time with her such a complex like mixture of emotions to like um you know to be pushing (laughs) to be pushing knowing that like you're both excited to meet her and also it's it's the end of her life as soon as you push her out um and so she was about halfway out she uh she can't she ended up coming out in like three contractions so after the second tr- contraction because she came out breech um she was about to shoulders head was still in but everything from shoulders down was out and the nurse was like do you want to reach down and hold her hand and so I was like yeah I'm crying you know all the things and I reached down and I grab her hand and I feel her hand squeeze oh my goodness um <laughs> yeah um I felt her hand squeeze my finger and I like burst into tears. I looked at my husband and I was like, I love her so much. Like she's so strong. Like I can't believe she's like surviving birth. Um, and so, and then she came out on the next contraction and um, as they were bringing up to her chest, like I saw her eyes open and we heard her suck in a breath. And it was like, my husband looks up at the nurse and he's like, is she alive? And the nurse was like, yeah, she is. Um, And it was very apparent quickly, like, if 
by the way she was breathing like you know like a miracle didn't happen she's not like going to live um but we were like so like she's alive you know like we have like time with her alive um and so she lived for 70 minutes um and we got to just hold her and be in bed as a family and rock her and sing praise and worship over her and just take in all of her features and and all the things and um there's a lot of fear about like when she would pass you know like what's it gonna be like (laughs) um and it was she never at any point seemed like physically in pain or stressed or anything um she just didn't suck in another breath um and so it was so hard but also like so peaceful (laughs) um and yeah so um that was our time with sky (laughs) really wrapped up um and then we that was like the middle of the night she passed she was alive from 241 to 351 um and we um stayed at the hospital until like 4 p.m so we stayed for another like 12 hours and just soaked in her features and held her and all the things and um I think building up to that moment you know because we had four months of like (laughs) just anticipatory grief like grieving and anticipatory grief of like knowing what's coming and all the fears and everything and I think we had a lot of fear we were told that she would probably be like really deformed from not having amniotic fluid from like being compressed in the womb um and she was not she was beautiful um and I think we had a lot of fear, like, you know, like what she'd look like when she passed, what happens to a baby's body once they pass, you know, like, yeah. what is, what is this going to be like? Is this going to be like, a, you know, a horror movie? Like, I don't know, like what to expect. And it was so, um, like tragically beautiful, um, and so peaceful and, we um had a really close people come so come to meet her and hold her and I think we had a lot of fear of like is everyone gonna be feel weird like holding our baby that's not here with us you know um her body's here but she's not alive and um it was oddly like so peaceful um and I feel like everyone um loved coming to like meet her and hold her and see her and it was just wild because she looked so normal you know and I think that it was like you look like a sleeping baby like you look totally normal but you're just not living yeah um and so yeah we spent um the like the next 12 hours at the hospital um with family and friends and then also some time alone and then um we had arranged that the funeral home director would come directly to our room 
to take her from us rather than like leaving her at the hospital like with right. a nurse and having her be like transported from a bunch of different hands in different places right. um we just wanted it to be like a direct handoff and have like peace of mind about it sounds like you happening. had really good care at this at this hospital yeah um for the most part we did we had most of the team that we worked with throughout pregnancy and birth was great some people did not know how to deal with loss at all. And so like did, yeah. did not um, navigate that. Those people did not navigate it well. Um, but for the most part, yeah, we had really incredible care. Um, and so we did a direct handoff with the funeral director. Um, and the sweetest, he was the sweetest old man. He came in and he was dressed in a suit. Oh, <laughs> um, he was bless. so sweet. He was so sweet. Um, and that was by far like the 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 darkest moment of everything. Like I feel like that's the hardest moment to go back to. Um, he came in with like a little basket. Um, yeah, <laughs> he came in with a little basket and a blanket. Um, and we we put her in the basket. Yeah. And um. <laughs> he turned around and he walked out the door wow um yeah he was like I'm, I'm so sorry you guys um yeah and so we kissed her and we laid her in the basket and then he he walked out the door and yeah and I just like turned to my husband and I just completely collapsed um yeah. How do you how do you hand your baby to somebody? No. Um that's that's one of my, that's one of the things that just astounds me about all of all of us. It's yeah. all of our stories are so different. But we all know what it's like to hand them over for the last yeah. time and then walk out without them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it goes against everything in you as a mom. <laughs> everything. Yeah. Um and so we we had everything packed before he came because we didn't want to be at the hospital any longer after she left. Like we when she left, we wanted to leave. And so he walked out the door with her and we completely lost it. Um, grabbed our bags and it's I mean, honestly, all the women I've met who who have lost babies, I'm like, we're friggin' superheroes I don't know how you like do that moment it's like walking out of the hospital without your baby everyone around you like has no idea the hell that you just went through um and then you just like get in your car and drive home yeah and you're like and you're like what the hell just happened it's so wild you just kind of sit on your couch like oh my god just hell man what was that? And now what? Yeah. Like, it's the craziest, surreal moment ever. Yes. I don't know about you, but when we pulled up to my house, I was like, I'm not going in. I'm just yeah, because yeah. what am I going to do in there? Like, so crazy. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> How was your husband at this time? Um, My husband, <laughs> he... More probably focused on you, right? Like... Yeah. I got to get her out of here and get her home and right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting as months have passed. Um, and my husband and I, we started seeing a therapist when I was still pregnant. Cause we were like, we know this is going to go to shit here soon. Like, right. 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 We need, we need help on the front end and on the back end. So um, I feel like 
in the in the early days and like in that moment of like birth and coming home and those like next few weeks I feel like he was just so like I've got to keep Nikki alive (laughs) seriously yeah seriously yeah and so um I feel like he his so much of his energy was just like on making sure I was okay and um obviously like both both the mom and the dad are grieving but also grieving similar things and also such different things you know like you're grieving (laughs) I mean like you you carried the whole you carried the baby and so like there's just such a different type of grief that comes with I feel I think for the moms um in in that aspect of like your body is like your baby's not there anymore like this was my baby's home and there's just like nothing in, in my body anymore. Like she's gone. Um, and so I feel like so much of his energy was just focused on like caring for me, you know? And then like two days later, my milk came in like full force. Um, and it was so painful because you have nowhere for the milk to go. And I mean, it was like, so intense I couldn't even like lift up my arms because it was yeah it was like I was so full I by the end of the day that it came in by the end of that night I literally like I couldn't even lift up my arms because it would like stretch like this skin and it was so tight and so painful and I was just like (laughs) I was a mess in every 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 single way yes yes that's Um, yes what that looks like yeah yeah and so I feel like he was just so hyper focused on like I just gotta take care of her and like make sure she's okay so um, walk me through (laughs) so you left knowing exactly what happened so there was no like oh my god what just happened what happened to Mm -hmm. her you know so you knew exactly what happened you had Mm -hmm. a level of preparation doesn't make it any easier by the way anybody who thinks it does um and you were now in the trenches and trying to navigate it. And, you know, it's not like we want to take our lives. We just don't want to continue them. It's like a, it's yes. a feeling. yeah, it's, it's yeah. It, people probably misconstrue that a little bit, but you know, not that any point that my, did Michael, my husband think that I was going to like do something crazy. It was more like, I just mm-hmm. kind of keep her moving, like wanting to keep, yeah. keep going. Um, Okay. So kind of walk me through your grief process. Um, You already had answers, which is wild Mm -hmm. that you had so many answers because most of the time after our babies die, we want answers obviously to to be like, what happened to them? Close that chapter, but also moving forward in subsequent uh, pregnancies. And Mm -hmm. you were already given all of that. So you've got another layer of grief Mm-hmm. when did you kind of start to come out of a fog and then start to kind of tackle the next phase? Yeah. Um, well, so we had got all of our blood work back during pregnancy. They did the blood work, like a the anatomy scan of like the 502 different abnormalities um, that you can carry. And Cody and I, there was no sign of Mecklegruber. There was nothing in our blood work. And so um, after Sky was born, they took a little sample from her and did like a full DNA panel on Skylar um, to like pinpoint exactly like what gene it was. 
Um, and so they got those results back a couple weeks later and confirmed that she did have Mecklenburg. And it's just like nuts. So what it is, is it's like on one gene, the 3145th letter of that gene was supposed to be a T and hers was an A. And like that causes the whole cascade of everything to go oh wrong. God. Yeah, freaking insane. And so um they got they found out like what specific gene it was. And so then they they re-ran Cody and I's blood work for that specific gene and found that in both Cody and I. Um and so then yeah, they did confirm that. And so um we we did plan a funeral for her. Um and so we did a funeral uh, about a month later. Um, so I feel like that first month, Cody and I both, um, well, I was definitely off work and Cody got that month off of work and it was actually like so painful, but also just like so sweetly sacred time between Cody and I of like, we just went to freaking hell and back together. And it was like, just like so deeply intimate time of just like bonding <laughs> um of like what we just survived and were surviving together um and so and I think also the funeral like felt good because it felt like I was still like actively mothering her in some way like I was still like planning something for her and doing something for her I feel like it really hit me after the funeral and I was like I have nothing left to do like there's no active like mothering parenting like even though the things we were doing were so hard and so painful like I was at least still like actively mothering and making choices for her and like making decisions and so I feel like after the funeral when there's like nothing left to plan is for me like when like the like deep grief really sat in yeah um and my husband had to go back to work at that point and so I was just at home and I was like, what do I do? Like, what do I do with my life? Like, there's like nowhere to go. I like, our life looks like it did a year ago in the sense of like, we still like don't have a kid. Like we're just, it's just Cody and I like, yeah. but like also our whole life has completely changed. And so like, what does life look like now? And, you know, we'd go out like to dinner and I would just be like angry I'd be like I don't want to be on a date night like a date night is not what I want I want to be like going through new parenting stuff together like yeah I don't want to be back in like the you and me dating phase like that's not where I want to be yeah and so I feel like that was really hard um and yeah so I think for as we we were going through therapy and like the biggest thing our counselor told me was like you have to feel the emotions like you have as painful it is like you have to deep dive into them like let them have their work in you like feel the fullness of them so that you can like let them pass you know and then yeah. when the next wave comes like you have to fully embrace it like you cannot bury or like try and stifle these because you're gonna explode like you right. have to feel the fullness of the emotion to like let the grief and the grief process work through you and so um, it was terrible. It was miserable because <laughs> I, I did that, but it was like, this is horrible. It's hard work. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. And so um, we, 
I feel like most days I was pretty numb. Um, I feel we also had um, for Sky Shower, we had written a letter that we gave out to everyone that came um, of basically like how to walk through this with us. Like, like um, our, our top um, tips and things that we want you to know about grief and how to support us and how to walk through us. Like, talk about Skylar, check in on us. Like, don't ask us what we need, just like offer things, you know, like just right. like be present. Um, don't avoid us. Like we, we had wrote this letter that was maybe like a page and a half of basically like a how-to grief guide um, from what we knew about our personalities and like what we wanted, um, which was so helpful. <laughs> um, it was so helpful for them, so helpful for us. And I feel like it helped, um, prevent a lot of like potentially really painful moments from people just not knowing what to do or what to say or how to act. Um, I feel like we addressed a lot of that, uh, so that people just knew like where we stood, what we wanted, what we didn't want, what would feel good, what would not feel good. Um, and so I think that helped a lot. Um, so yeah, I took three months off of work and, um, it was pretty dark. <laughs> I felt, I felt all the emotions. Um, I was home a lot by myself. And I think also, um, you know, people had told me other moms, lost moms that I had talked to had warned me, you know, like once the funeral happens, like there's gonna, you're gonna feel this moment where like everyone else, life, everyone else's life moves on and keeps going and they resume and yours is still going to feel like completely like stuck at a standstill and that definitely happened and I think that was also immensely painful you know like all of our friends have kids and just went you know life goes on and like they are continuing to um go about life as normal and have joy and like do all the fun things and like things are good and obviously when they when they come see you and sit sit with you they're present and process and grieve with you but you know, to everyone else, it's just a moment in their day, you know, mm-hmm. like a moment. Yep. And like, for you, it's your 24 seven reality. Um, and so I think that was really hard, um, and really like lonely to be like, yeah, everyone else feels this very momentarily when they're around me, but then like everyone else's life just keeps going. And like, I'm living in this 24 seven. Um, yeah. And, and you're probably was... getting like a lot of us get like, Oh, have another or yeah. oh, just wait till you have your rainbow. It'll fix everything like that sort of tone. Yeah. Meanwhile, you have this additional layer of that's probably not even going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it incredibly hard to navigate even just random strangers or doctors or anybody who doesn't know your story. Yeah. So that's really challenging because you're you're grieving a future as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like you're grieving the fact that like you you're not even holding on to hope of like, well, maybe we'll try again. You know, like as grief Ugh. gets easier, like we can try again because it's like, I mean, especially in those early months, I was like, I I can't fathom. Like, how would you try again if there's a 25% chance that like the exact same thing happens? So you guys decided um, almost, did you decide almost immediately to not attempt that? We had decided during pregnancy of like, okay. 
I mean, because the second half of my pregnancy was horrible. Like every stranger, everyone you walk by is congratulating you. And you're like, you have no idea. Like, shit. Yeah. yeah. And so I feel like, um, and I work in healthcare. So I work in a hospital. So I'm seeing like so many people every single day. And everyone wants to, you know, talk about your baby and touch your belly and congratulate you. And you're like, I just can't, you know, like, yeah. I, I can't. Um, And so I feel like you're, you're grieving all your hopes and dreams that you've ever had about what pregnancy would be about what birth and having your first baby would be. And then also you're grieving like all the dreams of like what you even thought your family was going to be. Um, and so, yeah. And, um, and then I, I didn't want to go back to working where I had worked before. Um, I just like didn't want to navigate all the relationships and all the people like coming back after, um, losing sky. And I, I had learned at that point that people in general, like don't handle grief very well. And I didn't want to go back to the same workplace and have like nobody acknowledge anything that had happened in my life. Right. And so, um, at like three months, I was like, well, I, I mean, I guess I have to keep going with life at some point. Like I have to move forward somehow and like keep going. And so, um, I started applying for jobs and I got a new job at a hospital close by us. And during the interview, you know, they're like, what brings you to this hospital and why are you applying for a new job? Like, I see that you're only at your last job for a year, you know, like, why'd you leave? Why are you applying for a new one? And I like, Oh, I was not expecting to lose it. I felt pretty composed when I went in and I told, I lost it in the interview and I I've learned that you just kind of lose it everywhere in any oh, yeah. moment with unpredictable. anyone. Yeah, <laughs> so like, unpredictable. I'm just a hot mess. Um, I'm trying to move forward in life and clearly I'm not doing well, but here we are. So um, this, are you six months out? Yeah. Oh, yep. shit. I'm six months out. Yeah, we had her November 6th. I think I started following you like before I think I had seen something where you were taking her on trips and things like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize it was just six months ago. I mean, you're doing pretty, pretty darn, <laughs> darn well. I mean, if it's random meltdowns are totally normal like for all of us. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So then you guys, I'm going off of what you've posted. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys made a conscious decision after a lot of thought to not pursue IVF or anything mm-hmm. like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because so with IVF, with what we knew about her genetics, we would have to do like genetic IVF, genetic testing on all of the embryos. Um, yeah. And it, when, when our genetic counselor like sat down and talked us through what that process would look like, um, I guess I didn't, I like obviously knew of IVF, but I assumed that they would just like genetically test all of like my eggs and then they would fertilize the ones that were healthy. Um, And our counselor informed us that what they do is they, they fertilize all of the eggs no matter what. And then they test the embryo. Um, And she was like, they would just discard any embryo that had Gruber, And it just like didn't sit well with me because I'm like, but that's like, Skylar, you know, I'm like, I can't just like, I, I, it didn't sit well with me that like, makes sense. potentially, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like I could potentially create all these babies and like half of them have Michael Gruber and like, 
that's my sky baby. You know, I'm like, I can't just like, that makes total sense. Them. Yeah. And I, I know, I know I'm kind of jumping to things, but I, because I mean, just for the sake of, yeah. because your story is, I think could be applied to a lot of people in this space who are either mm-hmm. unable to pursue that or don't mm-hmm. have the same reasons that you do that want to expand their family and have all these hopes tied up and that's taken away as well. And that is such an honest answer to it. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people have religious beliefs as well and certain, even financial roadblocks mm-hmm. to IVF mm-hmm. and people think, think IVF is a quick fix or like, why yeah, don't you just no. do IVF? So mm-hmm. that makes total sense. I can see mm-hmm. that completely. Yeah. Um, so then at that point we decided, okay, so then our option is adoption. Like that is really the only other, it, like, if that's what we wanted to, if we want to grow a family, if we want to have a family, I guess that's our, our route. Um, and so we started looking into, um, domestic infant adoption because we, we had decided we wanted to adopt from infancy and, um, as we kind of, we started looking in, we had looked into it a little bit during pregnancy, like just to kind of get an idea of like, how expensive is this? What is the realistic timeline? Like, what does this even look like? Um, and so then about three months after having Sky, we started like looking in, we were like, okay, I think we could like start looking into this a little bit more. Um, and it was extremely discouraging. Yeah. Um, there are we live in Washington we live on the west coast and there's not very many like um pro adoption places on the west coast um and so immediately to adopt you we'd have to go out of state which is fine um but then also infant adoption a lot of the places we looked into were either like unethical in the ways that they like went about it or worked with like birth moms as far as like getting women, like basically convincing women to like give up their babies for adoption. Um, and like those agents, I'm like, that isn't what I want to do. Like, I'm not trying to like separate moms and children. Um, and, or a lot of them were like, I mean, it's a, it's expensive already, but some of them were like ungodly expensive. Um, and definitely just taking advantage of people like in a season where like, they know that people will pay. And so they're like, we can do it. So gross. Um, we came across so many gross things. Um, and then we we ended up finding one that we loved. Um, and they told us it's about um, a two-year wait, at least. Okay. Um, because there's just not that um, many infants that are placed for adoption, which makes sense. Um, they were like, well, most women, if they know they don't want the baby, like typically abort or like don't carry to term um, if they already know that in advance um, or they're like the, the primary need is foster care, you know, like um, there's just not that many children, like infants anyway, for adoption, like older kids, definitely. But we're like, okay, well we, we can't, we don't want a teenager. Right. <laughs> like That's not what we're trying to do right now. Right. Right. Um, like, and so uh everywhere every place that we looked into was like the need is foster care and so um and we were very much like 
mm, not nope <laughs> like we've already like connected to a child and said goodbye to a child like I can't do foster care where you're just like attaching and detaching like all I'm like no I'm not going there um we have met our quota of hard things yes <laughs> so um we were both like very firmly like no that's that's not our route so I don't know I guess we just wait until something ha- like opens with adoption I don't know um and then maybe about two months ago um I was sitting in quiet time my husband and I are are very faith-based and so um I was sitting in quiet time and I I just like kept feeling this stirring about foster care like the more that we kept hearing about it like everywhere that we reached out to and like the need became so evident of like holy smokes like this is such a need but like I don't want to be the one to step into that need like somebody else can do that um and I just kept the feeling this stirring um and I just kept pressing back of like no God, I'm done with hard things. Like I don't want to do any more hard things. And I so clearly felt God press back. I haven't taught you how to do hard things so that you could go back to wanting comfort. I've equipped you to do the hard things. Holy moly. Um, and it was like so clear. And I was like, and I was like, okay, I'll bring it up to Cody. Cody will definitely shoot it down. Like he does not, like, I know where he stands. He's not going to want to do this. Um, and I was like, but I feel like I, I can't like, un know or unexperience like what just happened. And so, um, I brought it up to Cody that night at dinner and I was like, I think we're supposed to foster. And he just like sucks in a big breath and he's like, and he's like, God's been telling me the same thing. Wow. And I was like, no. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, you were supposed to be like the one that was like, no, we can't do it. Um, because we know we know that foster care isn't about um adopt as a means to adoption or isn't a way to grow your family like the goal is to help heal families and reunify um and we were like no like we want to be growing our family Mm. (laughs) like um and so uh but we were like you know we have we are perfectly set up in a season of life as far as like we have the space. I have the job flexibility. Like we were prepared to have a child in our home. And like, we had made all the plans in life for that. And like, if we're just waiting for adoption, like why not at least be intentional and like love some littles in the meantime and try and be intentional with this, this season of waiting. Um, and so we started going through the foster process, um, foster training and, um, we decided, uh, to do ages four through eight. Um, we were originally going to do birth to two because like, we already have a nursery and we already have all the things. Um, and I think as we like really started thinking through it, um, we were like, I think, I don't think birth to two would be wise. Like I, I want to remember that the calling for foster care and stepping into foster care is different than our journey towards a permanent family. Like those are, they're separate, they're separate things, separate paths that we're walking simultaneously. Um, and so I want to keep the mission of foster care, like very clear in my mind. And so we were like, 
I think if we do like four to eight, it seems easier in my mind to be like, this is, this is not my baby, you know, like, right, right. This, is, this is not my child. Like it keeps it, I feel like it'll help to keep it very and clear. I don't like, think you could hand over another infant that that's way yes, too much for you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was like, I think that would just be like way too triggering and traumatizing. So like, you got your limits I, girl. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, <laughs> I hear you God, I'll do it, but give me a break. I got yeah. to have some deal breakers here. Oh yeah. my God bless you. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're stepping into foster care and we are starting that process this summer. Um, Y'all are incredible. Still... <laughs> Honest to God. Um, I think we just want to be intentional in our season of waiting. And um, I think for a long time during pregnancy and after losing Sky, we wrestled a lot in our faith. Um, like I feel like before this, we thought our faith was like pretty solid. And then when like everything in life actually goes to shit, you're like, oh, my faith is pretty shaky. <laughs> like, right? Like, oh, things I, things I thought were solid are maybe not so solid. Yeah, I know um, nothing about nothing. I haven't been doing anything. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And so um, there was some pretty intense wrestling. Um, and I definitely was like, I mean, I leaned into it. I think I would recommend if anyone is um is faith-based like and you are wrestling like lean into that like God can handle it God wants it like whether you are yelling crying angry like just sit with the Lord (laughs) it doesn't matter how you show up or how you present like just do it because he's gonna meet you there and he he's um uh wow that's really profound yeah that's huge it just so challenged us to really, um, to really filter, like, what about our faith is there because it's, like, what culture or, like, the world tells you versus, like, what is actually in the Bible (laughs) and, like, what is actually, like, promised in the Bible and what is, because I think the biggest thing we wrestled with is, like, how can God be good? Like, how can a good God do this? Um, I was, like, that that this doesn't make sense in my brain <laughs> like um, nothing is making sense um and so we did like a a deep dive in our faith of like what does god's goodness actually mean um and as we did that and as we kept diving deeper we found um just through scripture that anywhere it talks about god's goodness is anything that brings glory to god anything that transforms us more into the likeness of Christ, anything that causes our lives to bear fruit and um, anything that brings us into deeper relationship with God. And I was like, well, by that definition of good, like he's the best. Yeah. I'm like the season of suffering did all of those things. And, um, I think it really made me, it really made me sit with the fact of like, whether I consciously would have thought this or not, like I defined God, God's goodness prior to this is like his goodness was directly correlated with like the gifts or like how, how good my life felt. Literally. I think I was the same exact way. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think through this process, I mean, so good. It's like radically transformed my faith to be like, 
that is actually not at all what God's goodness means. Like <laughs> that our comfort is absolutely nowhere in the Bible, what God cares about. Um, he cares about us being transformed more into the likeness of him. And like, if I believe that what the Bible says is true, like God can only be good. And so like, I, something about my perspective, like I need to like change my perspective and like figure out like, what does this actually mean? Like for God to be good. This is uh holy moly. I got to <laughs> process this in this conversation after we're done here. This is like um, really special for you to be saying things like this. Mm. I think a lot of us wrestle big time. I mean, I grew up oh, in a Catholic yeah. school for 12 years. I, I took a look and I was like, none of, this doesn't make sense to me anymore. Yes. None of, yes. Nothing you're saying to me, even when I go to church, I'm like, what are you saying? Are you talking mm -hmm. to me? No, you're not. You're not talking to me. So yeah. this is really special. I, yeah. I just got that book you talked about. What is it? Oh my gosh. So good. I would recommend it to anyone. It's a grace uh, disguised by I'm Jerry. Sidler. so excited about it. It's so good. Yeah. I just um, came in. Yeah. So, uh, he, he has walked through, uh, extreme loss as well. And yes. so the way that he articulates it and articulates like the wrestling with God and the grieving, like, I mean, he, he wrestled with God. Like he gets, he gets the wrestling, he gets the anger, he gets the grief. Um, and he Oof. just does such a good job of like, that book was a staple to us during our grieving um of redefining what god's grace is um and i think also just reminding us that without god god is good because of what he did um in sending jesus to die on the cross to give us a different way um to give us an eternal life where there is joy and pure perfection and goodness and union with him like I had this moment of realization during pregnancy of like this was supposed to be my eternity like suffering like this was supposed to be my my eternity for all of forever and like though this specific moment on earth in my life does not feel good like God is so good that this is not my eternity and like, I do get to be with Skylar again. Mm -hmm. And I actually get to have like eternal life of like joy and perfection and wholeness and everything good with her. And so it's like anything good, like Jerry Setzer does a good job, good job of explaining this of like anything good that we get to experience on life, you know, like those, those sweet things that are just like wonderful, happy moments in life. Like those are glimpses of God's grace but those are not what we deserve. Like we are not entitled to those moments. We're not entitled to good things. Like what we're entitled to and what we deserve is eternal suffering. Like yeah. we deserve, we, you know, like we, we're so like arrogant and prideful to like think that we deserve, like so I deserve wild. comfort and yeah. everything like happy and good. And it's like, actually you don't. And it is by God's pure grace that he like allows you to have glimpses of these like sweet moments and sweet tastings of like what heaven will be like, but like times infinity. <laughs> and so, um, I, I think, think I messaged you that my therapist yeah. said the exact same thing. She's like, we expect to suffer. As soon as I realized that I wasn't looking mm -hmm. for like him to fix everything. I just, yeah. why not me? Why, why wouldn't this not happen to me? Cause I think like you, I was like, 
God rewards those who are good mm-hmm. servants. And that was just mm-hmm. not the right mentality in yeah. fixing that concept of what your relationship with God looks like. This is making like so much more sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so redefining like what God's goodness is, like God's goodness is anything that brings glory to him, anything that bears fruit for the kingdom, anything that draws you into closer relationship with him, anything that transforms you into the likeness of him. And honestly, seasons of suffering do that far more than like any season of like good. Um, and and um, redefining what like grace is and my view of God's grace and like that I am not entitled to anything. Um, and it is by God's pure grace that <laughs> that we get to experience good things and like that we get to experience perfect wholeness and unity like this is just that this moment of suffering is temporary like that reality Mm -hmm. that like because of him this is only temporary and this is not forever like it is horrible right now but like it is going to be okay like that is already promised and like that is a locked in for sure like it is going to be perfect and beautiful and whole and like I will be with Skylar um And then (laughs) you just spoke volumes. I met with a priest after Birdie died and he didn't say anything like this. Girl, I'm Um, here for your Ted talk. Like I'm here for it. Thank you for sharing all of this. It's not easy stuff to share. No, you could just be quiet and do this alone. And, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people do that and that's absolutely fine. But just your little snippets you put on the on Instagram and just sharing what your journey has looked like mm-hmm. is like so truly helpful. I mean, to others, mm-hmm. it really, yeah. I mean, I know I, I may have a lot of it together. It may seem it's, <laughs> I fake it really well, but it's the faith based mm-hmm. that I struggle with a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because I don't think I've really ever no one's ever really said it to me in a way that was simplified. Mm -hmm. So this is extremely important for people to hear. So I thank you for being open to talking Mm -hmm. about it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I feel like I can't, I can't fathom this without, yeah, I can't fathom walking through this without. Well, you had two choices. You could have gone the other way. That's when I, that's when I don't like when people are like, we had no choice but to survive. Yeah, we did. Mm -hmm. We did Mm -hmm. have a choice. We could mm-hmm. have laid down. We could have said, God, I don't need you anymore. I'm doing this alone. We could have gotten dark and bitter and mad and angry and never moved forward in our suffering and in our grief and just laid mm-hmm. there and gave up. We did it. Yeah. Somebody like you is like, no, you picked your shit up. You got closer to the Lord. You figured this out. You're still figuring it out. You're mm-hmm. being, you're doing this the best way you can to parent Skylar from here and getting mm-hmm. to a point where you could see her again. Like that's, that's fighting. That's doing the hard work. And yeah. that is a choice that you made. Yeah. It's the harder one. Mm-hmm. But at the end, I mean, your journey is just pretty much not, it's not even close to being over yet. Your journey will never mm-hmm. stop. Mm-hmm. And I am here for it. Yeah. I remember right after I lost guy, um, a lost mom from social media had reached out to me and she was like, <laughs> she was like, I am so sorry to tell you, like, it never gets easier. And I was like, I will never say that to someone. I was like, forget you. Like, I, I do not receive that. Like, it has to get better. Like, do not tell me that. No, I am mad at that. Yeah, I'm mad at that. 
I had a I hate those messages. Me yes, of like it it never gets better. Like it is always this painful. And I'm like, I dear God hope not, because like <laughs> it is not good right now. <laughs> That's the path that they chose though. They chose the Absolutely. path of suffering. And you yeah, have a choice. You'll carry the pain with you forever, but you don't mm-hmm. have to suffer forever. You yeah. can dig yourself out. I feel mm-hmm. bad for those who chose that path to each their own. Everybody can handle this however they want to. But when someone tries to tell me that, I'm like, I disagree with you. I put in the hard work so that it mm-hmm. is not this painful forever, that it does get mm-hmm. easier. It doesn't get easier. It just gets different. No, it does get easier to carry. Mm-hmm. It does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you put the work in and you want it to get easier, if you are identifying with your suffering, mm-hmm. there's nothing anybody can do for you. If you mm-hmm. hold on to it so much, that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, and I'm sorry someone said that to you. I think the, the greatest hope that I got is I went to other lost mothers and I was like, tell me it gets better. Just tell <laughs> me. And they're like, yes, 10 to 12 weeks, you're going to feel a little better. And then in about six months, you're going to probably feel shitty again. And then it's going to get better. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah. I can do that. So, you know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, I feel I'm like, sorry. yeah, I, I need names. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know it's like become so apparent of like, there are people who get stuck and yes. it's like, now I, now I can recognize, recognize that. And I can look back and I can even look at people or, I mean, I'm like, Oh, you're stuck. Like you got stuck. Um, and I remember like Cody and I have been talking in the past couple of months of like, there was a time where I was like, I will never be able to say that like, God, God was good through this. Like, I I will never be able to say that. And I think maybe the past like two months, um, we've had, I mean, we've grown incredibly in our faith this past year. Um, and I think we we both had a moment, we had a conversation. I was like, I never thought I'd be able to say this, but like, I think even in this season. And after everything we've experienced, after losing Sky, after all the pain that we've walked through, like, God is good. Like, I see the good, like, what happened wasn't good, but so much good has come from it. Um, Like, what has happened to us on a soul level and a spiritual level, I don't think could have ever happened without, like, this intensity of suffering. Um. Like I, I loved, I loved my life. I loved comfort. I loved my plans. I loved my control. I love, I I loved everything way too much. Like God was a part of my life, but God was definitely not like I am doing and basing everything, every choice in my life around like God alone. And I, I don't think I ever would have, I loved my life too much. Like I never would have gotten to a point where I just wanted to live like all out for the Lord. I don't think that would have happened without like intense suffering and intense, like stripping away of like everything that I wanted, everything that like I idolized, everything that I, you know, interesting, um, interesting. thought was good. So inadvertently are those that suffer the lucky ones? Is that a weird thing to think? <laughs> I don't know that I'd say lucky, but I feel like (laughs) it is a uh, very sweet invitation from the Lord. Um, Interesting. I think intense suffering, and obviously it's your choice of how you respond to it, but I think it's a very sweet invitation from the Lord to know him 
with a depth of intimacy that is not possible unless you have gone through immense suffering. Um, because you just, you, he reveals aspects of his character, truths about him, um, depths of love that you, you would just never know otherwise. You would never even seek. You'd never even look for or desire unless yeah. you were in a season of immense suffering where you're like, this is all I have. Like, I have nothing else. Like, yeah, it's just me and you, God. Like, everything yeah. has been stripped away. And I feel like it, it has been such a sweet invitation to fall out of love with this world to fall out of love with this life and to understand and like to, on a heart level the revelation of like this life is not about me this life is not about building my kingdom this life is about building God's kingdom and like I'm going to live wholeheartedly with so much attention in my now for however long he gives me on this earth, knowing confidently that on the other side is eternal joy with, with him, with family, with my daughter, you know, like that, that is the reality. This mm -hmm. is temporary. And so I'm going to give my all to do God's work while I'm here so that when I get to heaven, like I can confidently be like, I ran my race well. I gave everything that I have and like, let's just freaking enjoy. Like, this wow. is the reality. Like, this is, this is where life actually is. Um, and I mean, I feel like I look around it at people, um, not in a judgmental way, but like I see, um, different depths of faith, I guess. And I can see myself who I was a year ago in other people and be like, gosh, like the depth that I know the Lord now, like the, the depth that I know his character, the depth that I know his love, his vision for, for the world, for me, for life is like, I feel so honored to be invited into like that depth of intimacy of knowing the Lord. Wow. That I just don't. Powerful. Yeah. I don't think you can, I, I just don't think that's possible without like immense suffering. And I, I also don't think you can grasp the depth of what Jesus taking on the full wrath of God means until you experience something of intense suffering. And you're like, oh, this, this is what my eternity was. Like, this is what it was supposed to be. And I feel like when life is good and comfortable and like everything's going your way, you're like, I mean, I love my life. Like, I'm glad that like Jesus died on the cross, but like my life's pretty good too. And, oh my like, God. You know, but like, yes. you know, and you're like, I'm glad I get to have like eternal heaven, but like life's not bad right now. And I feel like, oh, you're just so missing the entire, like you're so cheapening the gospel. You just cheapen everything that Jesus did because it's like, you don't understand like what we actually deserve, like what our life is supposed to be, what our eternal, what our eternity was supposed to be. And then when you walk through deep suffering, I feel like you gain such a greater depth of like, 
oh my gosh, like, this is why God is good. Like, this is what he saved me from for eternity. Like, this is only temporary. Um, wow. I feel like, I, I just feel like there's so much, um, so much good that comes from seasons of suffering. And I never thought I would have been able to be like, you know, that was absolute hell. But what God has done in me through our, through that experience, like the depth that I now know the Lord, the, the whole new life trajectory, new lens that we look at life and faith and purpose and mission with, like, I wouldn't undo the suffering. Like I wouldn't wow. change it wow. because like I, the, the reality is like, I am still Sky's mom and I still get to be Sky's mom. And like, I get to spend eternity with her, but this completely changed the whole trajectory of my faith and my life and who I am. And like, I would not want to go back to who I was a year ago and like go through the whole rest of my life at that like superficial level of who I was like there's I just have I'm a I'm entirely different um and though the suffering was absolute hell like I don't think at this point like I I'm seeing how it's like on a soul level like this is so good like it was so horrible but what this did in me like what God did in me is so good. Wow. And so it's such a weird tension. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pete, this probably wouldn't make any sense to anybody else outside that doesn't kind of know the level of suffering and yeah. what that feels like. And this is just such a beautiful declaration of how far you've come. And oh, now wow. you're going to assist others in their suffering. These, these poor kids, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's just incredible of you to do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like though I won't be able to I mean what what kids in the foster system are walking through is a, a totally different type of suffering I feel like um I guess just the depth of compassion that I have for like people who are suffering yeah. um just gives me such a heart to like step into of like step into the hard, like, yeah, yeah. it's going to be hard and it's going to be messy and it's probably going to be heartbreaking and all of the things, but like, that's the need, you know, <laughs> like why, why would I not step into that? Like, why is it, wh why would I want the kids to suffer alone? If like, I can, yeah. even if it's hard for me, like if I can step into that and be like a little piece of like healing and reprieve and like uh, a safe place, like, I don't want them to suffer alone. Like you have to, you have to suffer with people. Yes. <laughs> and like, when you find like co-sufferers, like it's hard when you're in a season of suffering and like you're around people who just like haven't. And you're like, I cannot be around you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. I just yes. Need to yes. Be around like co-sufferers. Like, so true. That, like, freaking get what the view is like from the Valley. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. I need, I need Amen. That is and so, so true. Just, and so I think that's just our heart with foster care of like, gosh, to, to be going through immense suffering, like as an adult is impossible. Like I can't even fathom as a kid, yeah. you know, like, like that intensity. And so it's like, if I can step in and, and help in their season of suffering, even just a little bit, like, even if it's so hard, like 
it's worth it. You know, oh my like gosh. Well, you're it, incredible. I mean, <laughs> and even just doing this podcast, you're going to help so many that are suffering in so many mm-hmm. different ways. So I am so I, I really want to do a part two. I think that mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your journey now, maybe in a few months, once you start the mm-hmm. process of fostering. Um, I just can't thank you enough again for being so open and transparent about your journey and your struggles and where you're at mm-hmm. right now. I think just six months out is really an inspiration for people. Not even like they should do what you're doing, but here is what it could look like if you choose mm-hmm. to walk the same path and mm-hmm. that it is possible to come up for air and to find Absolutely. light again. Yeah. So Absolutely. thank you so much, Nikki. I'm, can you, I'm going to email you after this actually. So if you don't mind sharing any helpful scriptures or sources that mm-hmm. you use and do you mind if people reach out to you? Oh, absolutely not. I am a open book and I'm here for anyone. Yeah. You're the best. Yeah. If you guys follow her on Instagram, it's, it's just wildly beautiful. Just when you, it's things that you didn't even know you needed and it's an incredible journey. So I'm going to tag you in the description of the podcast so they can click on you and say hello. Um, and only fo- only follow her though, if you're looking for light. because she's such a source you are so adorable I love you thank you so much for doing this yeah it's such an honor to be here I had found your podcast when I was pregnant like early on oh you did when we yeah when we knew things were going south I don't remember it was probably on like my suggested feed or something because all of a sudden I was looking at like (laughs) I don't know people who are going through suffering yep (laughs) and there you are yep hashtag suffering Um, and uh yeah, I had found you and I had started listening to your podcast when I was pregnant. And so it's like so sweet to come full circle and like so surreal to be like, I can't believe I'm talking with you. Like you were I love such that. A, you were such a light to me like early on. And I was like, you like put words to things that I was like, yes, like someone say it. Oh wow. <laughs> I love that. Okay. So we got a little partnership going on here, helping each other out. I dig that so yeah. much. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, it has been an honor to have you on. I'm so happy you agreed to do it. Cause I had messaged you and I was like, she may not want to do this, but you were totally up for it. And I was so yeah. happy that you want to come on. So I've had messages from people in kind of similar situations. And I'm like, I don't have the tools to help you, but I know someone mm-hmm. that can. And that mm-hmm. is my goal is to connect people that can help each other in their time of suffering and try to understand their new reality and how to move forward. So you're an angel. I love it. Thank you so much again. We are mm-hmm. going to stay in touch. I'm going to start this book this weekend because I, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be lounging and uh, I'm excited. So I'll message yeah. you some mm-hmm. of the things that you've already shared really, really helped. So yeah, so, you'll love it. <laughs> thank you so much. Enjoy yeah. your holiday weekend as much as thank you can. You. <laughs> and we will connect real soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. It's been an honor. We'll talk soon, girl. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. That's all for this episode of the At A Total Loss podcast. If you'd like to help other lost moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, lost moms.